Wow. This is almost, almost, uh, while Rick's handing out Bibles, this is almost three years to the day we, um, we started Calvary Chapel Irmo. It's very, very exciting. It was um, February of uh, 2015 that we came up and, and began Calvary Chapel Irmo with a vision and uh, met with Rick and Mary at Panera Bread, and it just began to grow from there. It's been awesome. It's been exciting. So on our three-year anniversary, we're, we've moved into our new facility, and I just can't tell you how awesome and how thankful we are. But the question might be asked, you know, what kept us going? What kept us going through all of the trials and through the difficult times when, you know, ministry is not always easy. Ministry can be tough at times. Um, I, I did 26 years in the Army National Guard, and I'm telling you, it can't touch some of the rough rigors of going through ministry. It can be very challenging. But what kept us going is um, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of our hearts kept us going. He kept the zeal in us. He kept the passion. He kept this fire inside of me. He kept me going. The Holy Spirit gave me faith I, I, I believed, I trusted the Lord, what he was going to do in the future, as well as all the other believers at Calvary Chapel. We had faith. We, the Holy Spirit given us faith. He gave us vision. We, he gave us vision and direction for the direction we were to go for Calvary Chapel Irmo and becoming established. It was, um, it's amazing when you bring 60 people together from all different walks of life, and we come together all our differences, everything, but we come together united in Christ. There's something powerful in unity. There's something very powerful in unity, but it's all because of what God has done in our hearts and in our lives and in the life of Calvary Chapel. I mean, it was very amazing. This morning, I want to talk to you. My message is, is, is called The Foundation. The Foundation. Where is your foundation? You know, and I want to I go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible. Right now, we're going through 2 Corinthians. But I'm taking, I'm taking a break from our verse by verse study to do a different verse by verse study on our dedication service. So, the foundation. I'm going to break my message down into three parts this morning for you to follow. The first one is, what is the foundation of the church? What is the foundation of the church? In your mind. What is the bedrock and the foundation of the church? I'm not talking about the institution. I'm not talking about brick and mortar. I'm talking about the body of Christ that can't be seen, the spiritual body of Christ that's in the earth. What is the foundation? We're going to look at that this morning. Number two, I'm going to share with you this morning my marching orders. My marching orders. Pastor David has marching orders. In the military, they have these things called orders that they give to people every time they go somewhere, every time they do something, every time they go on a mission. And those marching orders are laid out in bullets. And I'm going to share with you what God has shown me in his word are my marching orders so you know where I'm coming from as a pastor. And number three, I'm going to turn it on you. And I'm going to present to you this statement. It starts with you. It starts with you. So number one, the foundation of the church. Number two, our marching orders. And number three, the third point in my sermon this morning will be, it starts with you. It starts with you. My job as a pastor and as a shepherd 
you know, you've gone throughout the week and doing your thing and you're so plugged in, is to peel back the layers of everything that's going on in your life and get into your heart and get the Word of God into your heart and let's see what the Holy Spirit does. But it starts with you. So number one, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. While you're turning, as soon as you turn there, we'll pray. Matthew chapter 16, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 19. We'll actually be in two places this morning, Matthew chapter 16 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word, Lord God, as we look at the foundation of the church. Build us up. Build your kingdom here in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Thank you for your word. Amen. So part one, what is the foundation of the church? The foundation of the church is not brick and mortar. The foundation of the church is not institutions. The foundation of the church is not denominations. It's not denominations. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16 and see what the foundation of the church is. There's this dude in the Bible, his name is Peter. Peter got a lot of things wrong, okay? He, he gaffed a lot. Jesus called him to step out on the water. Peter stepped out on the water. He saw the winds and the waves and the weather. He got fearful. His faith sunk. And what happened? He began to sink because he doubted and he, he, because of his circumstances. On the Thursday evening before the crucifixion of Jesus, what did Peter do? He denied him. He denied his master. He denied his Lord. But what we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 16, Peter nailed it. Peter nailed it. Attaboy, Peter. You did great. You did great. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Let's look at it. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There's different, there was different opinions about who Jesus was back then for people, just like there is today. The same thing is taking place today. If you go ask Ballantine Bob or Lexington Larry, who is Jesus, you're liable to get different answers. You're liable to get different answers from different folks. But the only thing that matters on who Jesus is, is the supreme revelation of God, which is the Word of God. Opinions have no place in determining who Jesus is. Our personal preferences, if we create a Jesus in our own mind, you know what that's called? It's called idolatry, when we create a graven image. It's on what Scripture says. He says, so he says, who do people say that I am? Verse 15, I love this about Jesus. He, he turns it and he makes it direct. Look at verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus here is pressing the issue. He's pressing the issue and he's making it personal. He's making it personal. There is a decision for every single person in this world that has to be made. Is who do you say Jesus is? And it's a huge question if you're on the fence. This, this, your answer to this question can determine your eternity. There's nothing more important than one's eternal salvation. Because how long are you going to be gone for when you leave this life? forever. 
This is the biggest decision a person can make. We're going to talk about an individual decision in a little bit, but right now I want to bring it back to what I talked about, what's the foundation of the church. What is the foundation of the church? This is a question for every professing believer who considers himself to be a member of the body of Christ. Look at verse 16. Uh, Simon Peter's going to knock it out of the park. Hallelujah. He got it right. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Good job, Peter. You did it. You got it right. Now the text indicates that he had some help. He had some help from the father in heaven. He had some help from the Holy Spirit opening up his heart and giving him the ability to, 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 to answer that correctly. But he did it. He got it right. And my friend, I present to you this morning, this is the foundation of the church. Whether you go to a Baptist church, Assemblies of God, Calvary Chapel, whatever church you go to, this is the foundation of the body of Christ, is our faith in who the Lord Jesus Christ is. This is the bedrock, man. This is what we defend. This is what we go to the axe over. This is what we, 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 there's no bend. There's no compromise. There's no wiggle room on who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Verse 18, he says, uh, and I tell you, you are Peter, Jesus speaking here, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. What is the rock in this text here that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the confessional statement of who Jesus Christ is. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. When we say Jesus is Lord, when we confess who he is, that word Lord means he's our master. He's our Lord. He's our God. He's not our pie in the sky. He's not our buddy. He's not the man upstairs. He's our Lord, our God, and our master, and our king, and we are his servants, serving him, the one true and living God, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, says Paul in 1 Timothy. That's who Jesus is, the great I am, the great I am. Uh, On this rock I will build my church, the rock that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our allegiance is to no other. Our allegiance. God expects of a Christian, a believer, that your allegiance be to no other. That he is number one. That he is first and foremost in our life. And look, continuing there in verse 18, he says, and they, I love this. I love this. First off, there's two spiritual forces in the world. There, there's the demonic forces in the heavenly realm that we battle against. And then there's the spirit-filled body of Christ, the two forces in the earth. But look at what he says here. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against this body of Christ, these people who's established on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why won't the gates of hell not prevail against it? Because God is doing the work. Because God is doing the work. And let me just say this. Satan can't thwart God's plans. Satan cannot thwart God's plans. God has a plan, and he's looking for people to willingly submit their will 
to him and get on board. You know, the train is leaving. The train is leaving the station and it's going across country. You can either get on the train or you can get off the train. But the train is leaving. Let's get on the train and let's get on board with God's plan and let's serve him willingly. But it says the gates of hell will not prevail and the gates of hell will not prevail against the body of Christ because it's not them in and of themselves. It's not the people doing their own thing, thinking their own thing, living their own way. It's the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them, the kingdom dwelling in the people and working out and making an impact. You know, we want to make an impact in people's lives. We need to be in the word, prayed up, filled with the Holy Spirit, and saying, God, I'm going to meet with this person this afternoon. Give me the words to speak. Give me the words to speak. Manifest your glory in my life. Manifest your kingdom in my life. Did I say anything about being religious and long-faced religion? No. Let his power, let his glory, let his spirit flow in us and through us. That's a power that the kingdom of darkness will not prevail against. Verse 19, talking about the foundation of the church. The foundation, of, and remember what I said the church is, it's the body of believers. It's not the brick and mortar. It's not this building. We like to call it a church, and you can call it a church. I'm fine with that. But ultimately, biblically, scripturally, the church is me and you. Me and you. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Keys. This is a very challenging verse here. A lot of different interpretations out there of this verse and what Jesus is saying, but just a couple things here. He says, I will give you the keys. What are keys? Keys unlock doors. Keys unlock doors. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So it's like, We get the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We open the door. We enter into ministry. What is inside the door? Based on what he says here, he says, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. God has given us the keys to bring heaven to earth through three things. Discipleship. Well, first off, evangelism, because you got to win them first. Evangelism discipleship, and through teaching. And through teaching. That's the keys to the kingdom. That's the keys to living a kingdom life and living a life full of the Holy Spirit and and, and being focused and being focused as a Christian. You know, in our day and age, what we need more than anything, we need on fire Christians. We need believers who are, like Carmen used to say back in the 90s, radically saved. Anybody, anybody, anybody know that? Anybody? Okay, I see a couple of head nods. Radically saved. People that are on fire for the Lord and, and filled with the Spirit. That's what we need. That's what the foundation of the church is. It's not long-faced religion, but Spirit-empowered people. Word-filled people. That, my friend, I present to you this morning Number one, the foundation of the church is, is, is the foundation of the church is our confession of who Jesus is. And not only our confession of who he is as Lord, as God, as master, but our, our faith in him and who he is. And not by what the world says about Jesus, but what the Bible says about Jesus. So, so important. So, so important.
So that's the foundation of the church. I hope you take away from here this morning knowing that, that when we leave here at 12 o'clock after we stuff our faces, the church is leaving the building and you are going out into the world as the church, as the body of Christ. Amen? Now, second part two of my message, my marching orders. I have marching orders. I have marching orders from heaven that God has given me. And if you're visiting with us and you want to know, man, what's this David Ford dude all about? What's, what's his agenda? What's, what's, the, what's going on at Calvary Chapel? This is what is going on at Calvary Chapel. This is my marching orders from heaven. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. God has given me, as you're turning there, God has given me clear instructions. He's given me an objective. He's given me a mission. It's shaky at times, not in what it is, that's firmly established, but putting it all together. But God is doing that here. He's raising up leaders. He's raising up people so that the ministry takes place here at Calvary Chapel Armour. But I want to share with you this morning my marching orders from heaven. Second Timothy, this was Paul's last letter. It was a, a very intense environment. He wrote this letter somewhere between 64 and 67 AD. It's a very personal letter. He wrote it to Timothy. It was very hostile times in the first century for Christianity. In 64 AD, Nero blamed the Christians for burning Rome. So there was a very hostile attitude towards the Christians. See, in the ancient Roman world, there was one God, and his name was Caesar. And all of a sudden, Christianity starts spreading like wildfire, and they're coming along and they say, no, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And this infuriated them. This infuriated them. In 66 AD, uh, the Jewish wars began. Uh, the, nation, the, the Jewish people were sick and tired of the taxation that Rome was imposing on them. And they say, we've had enough of this. And, and the Jewish nation began their revolt against Rome in 66 AD. It continued to 70 AD when we know that Titus and them said, you know what? We're going to squelch out these people. And they go in and they destroy Jerusalem. So it was a very hostile, it was a very hostile um, trying time to be a believer in Jesus Christ. They were in prison. They were tortured. It was a very difficult time for them. It's important that you know that background because that brings whole new meaning to the text. Whole new meaning. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's look at verse 1. He says, uh, hey, Timothy, uh, why don't you lighten up your message? It's getting difficult. Is that what it says? No. Chapter 4, verse 1. In light of that hostile environment that Christianity was in, look at what Paul says to Timothy. This is part of the pastoral epistles. He says, I charge you. I charge you. That's a very powerful statement that, that Paul is telling Timothy. I know the persecution. I know the difficult times you're facing. But bro, you got to stay the course. I charge you. I challenge you. It was almost as if Timothy needed encouragement. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Based on verse 1, my marching orders is this, is my teaching from this pulpit, and whoever teaches in this pulpit, it will be evangelistic. It will be evangelistic. In other words, it will be in light of eternity. It will be in light of his coming, of, his, of the rapture of the church. It will be in light of, man, I may or may not see you next week. So I'm going to make sure that the gospel is woven through all my teaching. Whether I'm teaching through Genesis or Revelation or Matthew, Mark or Jonah, I'm going to make sure the gospel is weaved throughout it all because it's going to be evangelistic in my teaching. I want an unbeliever to be able to come in and say, oh, okay, I got it. I understand the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the grave so that I could be forgiven and have eternal life. Got it. Okay. My job is just to preach it and share the seed. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do the conviction and bring them to a place. But it will be evangelistic. Verse 2. Verse 2. Line 2 of my marching orders says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Oh my goodness, I cannot stress to you enough. This is my heart. This is my heart. Or I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not. I'll I'll, I'll go somewhere else. My heart and my passion uh, is expository teaching. I just love it. I just love it. It's like drinking from a fountain. It's like, you know, the kids go out in the streets when mom and dad and and the police officers aren't looking and they cut open the fire hydrant and it just blasts them out. It's like a fire hydrant. That's how I feel about verse-by-verse teaching, expository teaching. It's just simply doing it the Calvary Chapel way. Me and Irene, we, we first visited Calvary Chapel Lexington somewhere around 07, and I got there and I was like, Oh, I am home. I just loved the simple verse-by-verse teaching. Simple verse-by-verse teaching. I love it. And that, that, that's, that's me. That's me. I, I just love expository verse-by-verse teaching. Just walking through the Word. Because I believe it's when the Word is proclaimed and taught and read out loud that lives and hearts are changed. Lives and hearts are changed. Have you, have you ever heard the audible voice of God? Have you ever heard the audible voice of God with your ear? You can. Every time we read the Bible out loud, we're hearing his voice. When we read the pages of scripture out loud, we hear his voice. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit lays things on people's hearts. And the Holy Spirit gives us guidance and gives us direction and gives us vision and says, okay, Debbie, I want you to do this with your life and go here and do that. But let's not forget, every time that the word of God is preached and taught and spoken out, we're hearing the voice of God through the pages of the Bible. Verse 3, my marching orders. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Into myths. Um, Jesus said, your word, that's what Jesus said, talking about the Bible, 
your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Line three, bullet number three on my marching orders is my teaching will not bow. It will not bow to the changing morals of our culture. It will be in line with what scripture clearly teaches, what the Bible teaches. We will uphold truth, biblical truth, because it's God's truth. And when it's God's truth and it's biblical truth, it's our truth. And we love it. Simple, just plain, simple, um, straightforward Bible teaching. You know, and my desire in my heart as we go through expository verse-by-verse teaching is that I will spark in Beth or Rick or Leon a desire to get into the Bible. When you start understanding the context of what was happening behind 2 Timothy, it brings on a whole new meaning. It brings on a whole new passion. So, my teaching will not bow, but we will uphold what the word says. Verse 5, my marching orders. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the words of Paul to Timothy, that despite the trying times that you're going through and the difficult times that you're going through, he says, it's so important, he says, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded, it says. To me, when I, when I read that and I was looking at it, to be sober-minded means to think clearly, to think clearly, to make smart decisions. You know, our decisions impact our life. Good decisions, good results. Bad decisions, bad results. We need to be sober-minded. We need to think things out clearly before we do them. It's so important in ministry. And I understand. I understand. I haven't been a, I've been a pastor now for four years. I got saved in 1992, and I served the Lord in the local church for almost 20 years before I became a pastor. So I've been where you are. Some people just going to church. Some people serving. Everybody's at different levels. I understand that the way a pastor lives influences a lot of people. You know, he had sad, and it breaks my heart, but we see leaders that fall, and it impacts those under their leadership. Man, brothers and sisters, can I just say this? We can't have that. We can't have that. You know, whether you're a pastor or a leader, we impact those around us. And we have got to be, as the text says here, be sober-minded. Man, you can apply this to so many different areas of life. You can apply this to parenting. Be sober-minded. Think clearly about your actions and the things that you're going to do. Why? Because you got little Johnny and little Sarah watching you. And the same principle in the body. People are watching the leadership. People are watching the pastor. And I understand it. I've got to be sober-minded. I've got to endure suffering. I've got to do the work of evangelists. I've got to fulfill my ministry of what God has called me to here. Verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul's worn out. Paul is, is worn out. Paul, Paul viewed life and death as a drink offering. He viewed his ministry to Jesus as a sacrifice. 
as a sacrifice. And Paul willingly laid down his life for the gospel. Please let this sink in. Please let this sink in. Because I don't know how many people will do it or not. Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to lay down your life for the one who died for you at Calvary so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have a new heart? Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our, our point is not, hey, people, come look at Calvary Chapel. Come look at what we're doing. That's not our objective. That is not our objective. Our objective is, hey, guys, come look at our magnificent Savior. Come look at our magnificent Lord and see what he can do in your life. But Paul viewed his life as a drink offering, as a sacrifice. And he says, in the time of my departure has come. Paul wouldn't live much longer. You know, I've been seeing the advertisements on Facebook. There's a movie coming out this Easter, The Apostle Paul. And I'm looking forward to um, seeing it. But I've watched the trailers. It looks like maybe it's in line. It's in line with what the scripture says based on some reviews I read. I'm not endorsing it, not until I've watched it and read it and seen it while I say anything about it. But boy, does it look good. But it was a very hostile time for the ministry back then. Verse 7 Let's finish up my marching orders. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The fifth bullet on my marching orders as a pastor and a shepherd is my, is my goal, is my objective, and it's, it's not to please men in my preaching. My goal in writing out and laying out my sermon and laying out my bullets, comments, and going through the Word of God, my goal is not to please you. My goal is to please the Lord. My goal is to please God and just, and just teach it. and let, Just teach His Word, sow His Word, and let the Holy Spirit do its job. Let the Holy Spirit do His job in people's lives. It's just to teach it. That is my marching orders. So if you're visiting with us and you want to know what Pastor David's about, there it is. There you have it. I just want to teach the Bible. I just want to teach the Bible. I cannot wait till this coming Thursday night when I got some students in here. And I'm thinking this Sunday night, we're going to talk about guilt. We're going to talk about guilt. And we're going to talk about what do you do when you struggle with guilt? What do you do when you struggle with guilt? What, how do you move on in life? How do you move on from past mistakes? As a Christian, what does the Bible say? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? I'm so excited and looking forward to sharing this with the students this Thursday. So if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, you know my subject. We're going to have an awesome time Thursday night. In our men's and women's Bible study, on Tuesday nights. If you're not a part of that, ladies, men, please come out. Please join us. Uh, men are out there filling up the foyer. Women are here, and we're going through um, 1 Samuel, somewhere around chapter 19 or 20, but we're having an amazing study. But just getting into the Word and letting God change people's lives. But our goal, our goal is to get the Word out. Our goal is to get the Word out. Finally, part three of my message, and I will close with this, is this. It starts with you. It starts with you. That's, anybody saw the Facebook post 
of, the, of, our, of our advertisement that we put on Facebook. It's the guy sitting up on the mountain cliff and he's looking out across the horizon. That's symbolic of all human beings. They're, they're looking out across life, wondering, why am I here? What's my purpose? What, what, what am I here for? What do I believe? That faces every single person, every single believer in this life has to work that out in their Christian walk, in their relationship with Christ. And unbelievers have to ask that. Why am I here on earth? The ultimate answer, of course, can be found in the Bible. But part three is, 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 is starts with you. My, when people come in on Sunday mornings, I know Hannah's got a full-time job raising this beautiful baby. Leon's got all of his work that he's doing at U-Turn. And, and you, you fill your mind and your life up with all these things throughout the week. And my job as a pastor is in this 30 to 40 minute sermon is to try to peel that stuff back. Peel that stuff back and get into your hearts with the word of God and let you know this. It starts with you. It starts with you. This is an individual challenge to each and every one of you. Um, like that picture, we're looking out. My question to you this morning, talking about it starts with you, is do you know what it means to follow Jesus? Do you know what it means to follow Jesus? Back in uh, Matthew chapter 16, I think it was verse 15, um, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? My question to you is this morning, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Christ is? That will set the course for your life, and that will set the course for your eternity on who you say Jesus is. Many people today, man, they hold Christianity like a wet rag on the side of their on their side and don't think much about it. It's no big deal. It's my religion. I got it there. But no, that's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches Christians are those whose allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to him as Lord. And doesn't mean they have it all together. We all got hang-ups. We all got things we're struggling with and wrestling with. But in our hearts, we're pursuing him with all of our, with, we're moving in that direction. We're wrestling through the struggles of life. We're wrestling through sin and guilt, and we're finding our new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with you, I close the, with, with the, the Romans road this morning. It starts with you. Where will you go from here? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, guess what? He, is, he said that 2,000 years ago. He is still the way, the truth, the life. But man has a problem. Man has a problem. It's called sin. Sin is transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's face it, man, we've all blown it. We've all blown it. Man, this, this, this is Calvary Chapel Irmo, and I, I, I was a pagan. This was my BC area. I went to Irmo High School in 89, and I lived like a heathen, and I've lived in every form of sin you can imagine. And in 1992, 
God radically changed me from the life I was running the streets here in Irma, from the sinful life. He radically changed me, and now I'm a pastor here. This blows me away. Blows me away. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He doesn't offer you religion. He offers you eternal life. He offers you spiritual life on the inside. He takes those dead, dry bones and he removes them. He takes your heart of flesh and he, re- he gives you a heart filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? This ain't religion, this ain't creed, this ain't institutional, whatever. This is real life. He offers us that. The gospel, every Christian should have this verse memorized. Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. God loves you. And he loves you so much, he stretched out his arms on a cross to show you how much he loves you, to die for you, to pay the price at Calvary so that you and I could be forgiven. It starts with you. What are you going to do with this information? What are you going to do? Please don't forget about it. I pray that the Holy Spirit just keeps on Does he do that or does he? Does he not? He does. He does. Me and me and Leon, we've had some great conversations here, and I get to witness these guys in, in their early years of Christianity. It's so exciting to hear God knocking on their heart, knocking on their heart, and changing them. They don't have it all together. They're like me, like I was. Everything's all jacked up. But Lord, I'm coming. I'm, I'm, I'm moving your way. And I'm going to receive you. I am receiving you. I'm learning what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's so important. And salvation. You know what the word says. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you made that decision to follow Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? That's that's the gospel, is becoming a wholehearted follower of Christ and receiving him as your Lord and your God. Let me tell you something. I can testify. Let's see, we're in 2018. 26 years. 26 years I've been a Christian. And it's, it's been the most exhilarating most exciting, most awesome journey I've ever had is my Christian walk. There is nothing the world has to offer compared to what Christ has to offer. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, If you are here and you're not a Christian, the worship team is going to lead us in a worship song. I'm going to come back up and close us in prayer. I would love to meet with you after service, at the close of service, and talk with you more about beginning a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So it starts with you. Where will you go? What will you do with what the Word says? How amazing is the love of God? That's what it's all about. God's love living and reigning in our hearts and spilling out into the world. Church, let's do that today. Let's go out and be a shining, bright 
light of his love and his grace and his truth and his mercy. Amen? Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, thank you for bringing us to this day. This has been a long road, and we are so thankful, and we're so joyful, Lord, that through all that mudding and painting, this is what you're doing in our body. So thank you, God. We give you thanks, magnificent and almighty Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, please bless this food. Let it nourish and strengthen our bodies for your service and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.